Welcome to Common Ground, a talk show encouraging debate and a deeper understanding of hot-button topics in Berlin and beyond. I'm senior producer Dina El Sayed. On May 27th, Common Ground and the German Marshall Fund co-hosted a town hall with aid workers and analysts on three continents to talk about the future of Afghanistan after two decades of NATO military and humanitarian intervention. The particular focus was on Afghan women, who stand to lose the most if the Taliban return to power. Common Ground host Soraya Sarhadi Nelson brings you excerpts from the town hall and interviews on the ground in Kabul. She also reveals some of her own key moments in Afghanistan while she was a correspondent for the LA Times and later NPR. So let us begin. Welcome to part one of this special Common Ground episode. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, and 15 years ago I opened the NPR network's first bureau in Afghanistan. The Central Asian country is called the graveyard of empires for good reason. Throughout history, even the strongest nations learned that invading Afghanistan was a lot easier than occupying it. Rachel Tausenfreund, who is editorial director of the German Marshall Fund, joined us during our town hall and reflected on American and NATO experiences in Afghanistan. The Afghanistan war has a particular place in the history of transatlantic relations and NATO, NATO being a kind of pillar to the transatlantic community. And within NATO, the Article 5 is considered by many to be the core of the NATO relationship, which is the article determining common defense, that an armed attack on one country is an armed attack on all countries. But in the 72-year history of NATO, September 11th is the only time that Article 5 has been evoked so far. The result of which was the NATO mission led by the United States against the Al-Qaeda terrorist attack, which then transitioned into a stabilization mission that has been ongoing for 20 years, and uh, then incorporated more and more parts of the trans-life relationship, namely civil society and uh, development work. Now, 20 years later, the U.S. president has committed to end this forever war, which is, of course, a lot longer for the people in the region than it is for those of us in the West, and the NATO troops are withdrawing. And everyone agrees, even the supporters of the move, that the consequences of this are very uncertain. We believe that speakers like the ones today and issues like the ones discussed today um, need to be a bigger part of the foreign policy discussions in the transatlantic community and that this will lead to a more liberal, a smarter, uh, a more just, fair and democratic world. Six analysts and aid workers who have deep insight into Afghanistan and spent a lot of time on the ground there also took part in our virtual town hall. They are award-winning foreign correspondent Atia Abawi, who was based in Afghanistan for five years for CNN and NBC. She is also a successful children's and teens author. Her most recent book is called She Persisted, Sally Ride, which is part of a series created by Chelsea Clinton. Kathy Gannon is the award-winning news director for the Associated Press in Afghanistan and Pakistan, and her coverage is highly influential and widely respected. She was the only Western journalist allowed into Kabul by the Taliban in the weeks leading up to the 2001 American and British Offensive. Kathy is also the author of I is for Infidel, From Holy War to Holy Terror, 18 Years Inside Afghanistan. Marina Kilpinski-Legree is the founder and CEO of Ascend, a nonprofit organization that trains Afghan girls to be leaders through mountain climbing and community service. 
Marina's NGO strives to change how Afghanistan and the world view Afghan girls and women. And it was one of her climbers who became the first Afghan woman to summit her country's highest mountain, Noshak, which straddles Pakistan's border at 24,580 feet, or 7,492 meters. Mitra Mehran is a Fulbright scholar and social entrepreneur who works with the Women's Scholarship Endowment Program. Mitra is also a prolific op-ed writer who co-founded the Feminine Perspectives Movement, which provides a platform for women across Afghanistan to raise their voices and ensure their perspectives are reflected in the peace talks. Almut Viland Karimi is executive director of the Center for International Peace Operations, which on behalf of the German Foreign Office provides a comprehensive approach that unites training, human resources, international capacity development, and analysis. For the last 25 years, she also worked with an Afghan-German NGO called Mediotech Afghanistan. Our sixth panelist is Eleanor Tsaino, the Afghanistan country director of the Konrad Adenauer Foundation. The foundation's programs in Afghanistan are aimed at establishing a democratic state based on the rule of law and to support the development of the country's economic system. I asked Eleanor about plans for her German foundation once German troops pull out in the coming weeks. Will they still be able to operate? That's a very sensitive question, and I've been asked that in the last weeks a lot. And um, I want to pass a positive message and an optimistic message. So currently we stay open. Our office in Kabul stays normally open. We continue our projects, which is mainly political dialogues um, and also trust building dialogues with different conflict parties. But of course, we don't know what's happening in the next months. We don't know what's happening once all troops are out. And um, but that's daily life. I mean, in Kabul, we never plan long time ahead. So my core message is we will continue and I stay, let's say, realistic and optimistic about um, the future process, the political process. And um, I'm optimistic that Afghans can reach peace for the first time, maybe within many decades. Marina, President Joe Biden says all U.S. service members in Afghanistan will be gone by September 11th, just shy of 20 years after they first arrived. How will Ascend, which is an American NGO with European affiliates, change the way it trains and teaches Afghan girls and women in the program? And will the climbing teams be present in Kabul and the provinces after that happens? Tough question. I was expecting that. Um, (laughs) Well, first of all, Ascend has never been funded by the U.S. government. So In terms of basic bottom line, can we exist or not? um, It doesn't make a big difference for us. We're sustained by mostly individuals and our donors have proven to be very loyal in spite of all the ups and downs that go on in Afghanistan. Um, Nobody is jumping ship and we won't either. We will probably have to make some adaptations in terms of where we travel and how our girls travel, Um, but that's in line anyway with our objective to build capacity locally. And one of the main things we've been working on since the No Shock Summit a couple of years ago was really focusing on building instructors so that Afghans are teaching Afghans how to do all of the things that we've introduced. And we're almost there. I mean, we have one expat who's there, not all the time. So we worry for the girls and their safety, and we will have to, you know, constantly evaluate risk in terms of where they go and how high a profile we can maintain. But we don't expect to be making any drastic changes. Kathy, the New York Times featured a chilling article today about how 26 bases and outposts in four provinces surrounding Kabul surrendered to the Taliban this month alone. 
Do you think a Taliban return to government or taking over completely is where all of this is headed? Yeah, we also had a story. I had a story today on, on the Afghan army. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed it. But yeah, the, the first one I no, saw. No, was no problem at all. But oh. I just, just to reinforce that it was as well about how in many ways they're very demoralized because they don't get paid regularly and uh, it is a difficult time. Do I think that the Taliban are coming back? You know, I think that you can't ignore the Taliban and the Taliban will play a part. You know, predicting anything in Afghanistan is impossible, of course. And, and, and I'm the last person that would ever even think about predicting it. But presumably they will have a role. It is not 2001 anymore in Afghanistan. It's not 1996. It's not 1992. Um, when the Taliban were last there, um, there was only one computer in all of Afghanistan. That was in Kandahar. And, and Mila Omar didn't even know how to turn it on. So it's a different time. So I think that it seems that, that it would be impossible to leave them out. They do control a large area of countryside and uh, uh, large rural areas. So how they become part of the government and how they become part of the future is really, I think, what Afghans are most worried about, because will it be uh, a violent, will, will there be a feuding? And, and you also have a lot of warlords that are also very powerful now in, in Afghanistan and in Kabul and because of the last 20 years. So I think the real the real thing going forward is uncertainty, but I think the sense is that they will be a part of whatever the future uh, looks like. It's just how Afghans get to that future. Let me just ask you a quick follow-up question about how did civil society operate in Afghanistan when the Taliban were in charge? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there was a civil society and there, were young, there was a young generation then and there was a young generation between 92 and, and 96 when the Mujahideen were ruling and killing each other, many of whom are warlords today in Kabul and, and are very powerful. You know, it was, um, it was very muted, but there were some schools running. In Ghazni, there was uh, schools for girls that Seema Samar was running and Seema Samar was a very vocal uh, post-2001 uh, voice that was really mostly silenced by the international community and the post-Taliban administration. But it was very muted, of course. Um, but the, it was a different time. You didn't have communication. You didn't have uh, uh, mobile phones. Everybody didn't have mobile phones. And of course, the Taliban banned television. But you had Bakhtar News Agency. You had uh, radio. People were always listening to the beep. And people were communicating with each other. Um, there was a lot more movement at that time because you could travel quite easily between any place. So there was all that movement. I think the rural areas were not so much different than they are today. Um, it was the cities that were not developing and, 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 and because, you know, the women were restricted. But I just want to make one point that when the UN was negotiating with the Taliban before they came to power, when the, the Mujahideen were killing each other, killing everybody and fighting with the Taliban, I asked the UN when they took over Kandahar and they said, the women home. I said, that's against your charter. And they said, listen, that's a cultural issue. We're not discussing women with them. And when I discussed uh, with uh, Taliban leaders at the front line, I would always ask why, you know, where is this coming from? And they would always say, there was one commander, he would always say, why do you keep asking about women? The UN never asks us about this. So I think there's many, many players and there's a complexity of the, the whole issue. Um, between 92 and 96, when the Mujahideen were there, there were a lot of restrictions too, because you couldn't go out because there were rockets flying. Uh, constantly from one end of the city to the other, 50,000 people die 
in Kabul because, you know, the, the rocketing among, you know, people like Ekmachar who's there, uh, Masood's people, Sayas people, all of whom are there now. So it, there's not an easy answer. Almut, the International Civil Society Action Network earlier this month concluded that continued peace building in Afghanistan must go hand in hand with robustly funded humanitarian assistance. Do you agree with that? And is that even still happening given the troop withdrawal? I guess, I mean, predicting anything in Afghanistan is impossible. Casey just said that. So I think we can only have different scenarios in mind what might happen. And we can only sing along these scenarios. One would be that uh, the Taliban and the current government or a newly elected government would kind of have a share in government. The other one is for sure that the Taliban uh, take over. And the third one is, again, civil war and probably with two parallel governments. So depending on the situation, uh, my answer would go the following. I mean, the International Civil Society, I guess, will still be engaged in Afghanistan. There's a lot of commitment from all over the world. And if I look at the screen here today, I know how many uh, men and women are engaged in supporting uh, Afghans uh, inside Afghanistan, not only the Afghan Americans, Germans, whatever, but also very many internationals who have lived in that country and see that support is really needed now. So there's one, on the one hand side, it's the support for the civil society, especially for women. And I guess an important point is the economy. Women have to live on something. I mean, they have shown a lot of courage, education, uh, but of course, if lots of these jobs will not be there anymore, I mean, starting with the NATO leaving, but also with international organizations closing their doors, it will be very important to make sure there's a livelihood for all these women, especially the multiplying women who do a lot for girls and others. And with regard to humanitarian aid, unfortunately, Afghanistan is one of the three main receivers of humanitarian aid worldwide, and that has to continue. And there are many, there are millions of Afghans who need humanitarian aid on a daily basis. They need food, they need shelter. And I know that many UN organizations are engaged in that, but also NGOs work in the humanitarian field. And yes, that will be be existential to survive for a majority of the population, unfortunately. My next question went to Atia, who I first got to know 11 years ago while we covered the U.S. Marines during an operation in Helmand province. Their goal was to drive out the Taliban, who were developing strong footholds across southern Afghanistan. It was a difficult task, rife with gun battles and ambushes like this one of a Marine patrol I reported on for NPR in February 2010. The KIA was a 23-year-old Marine who I won't name as per his Navajo tradition. Hours before he was fatally shot in the forehead, he had shyly asked me whether he could borrow my satellite phone later to call his pregnant wife. I wish I had coaxed him to make that call before the patrol. The war between NATO and the insurgents inevitably led to civilian casualties, too. During the town hall, I asked Atia about Afghans who over the years had called on NATO troops to wrap it up and leave, especially after the alliance would inadvertently kill civilians. Now that they are leaving, has Afghan sentiment about the withdrawal changed? 
I think it depends on what Afghan you talk about talk to. Um, I think that the troop withdrawal can symbolize safety for some. It could symbolize fear for others. There's not enough NATO troops or American troops on the ground right now to make a fundamental difference when it comes to, I guess, fighting. Um, yes, they are a support system to the Afghan National Security Forces, but really I do feel that for many people, it's also a symbol. Um, we've seen this before, and Kathy just spoke eloquently about the last 40 years of uh, situations and the different aspects of the fighting and the wars. And really when the international community withdraws, I guess, their troops, it sometimes seems as a symbol to many Afghans that they may be withdrawing their support. We talk about the fact that they're going to continue, they're going to send money, and that's something that they say in their speeches. Um, but the real fear is that uncertainty. Yes, they might do that for the next few years, but are they going to forget about it after that? I think Afghanistan has suffered a lot when it comes to when they are forgotten. And when they are forgotten, eventually it does come to bite the rest of the world as well. Uh, think about the time when the Soviets withdrew. Uh, America said that they would continue to commit, and they didn't. And that caused the civil war, which was, for many Afghans, more barbaric than the Taliban. Um, then the Taliban happened, and that barbarism happened. And then you had the last 20 years. And it's great to hear um, from these governments to say that they're going to continue to financially support, to support the military even. But really, the uncertainty lies is, will the international community continue that support uh, once attention shifts? We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll hear more from our experts in Afghan women in Kabul, who we interviewed for the town hall. One is an accomplished mountain climber who I accompanied to the base camp of Afghanistan's highest mountain. Stay tuned. Democracy. I'm Rachel Tausenfreund, one of the hosts of the German Marshall Fund's podcast, Out of Order. Join our conversations with leaders and experts on what the dark side of tech does to democracy, how the pandemic shapes geopolitics, and other topics of global order and disorder. You can find our episodes and miniseries at gmfus.org or wherever you find your podcasts. We are the German Marshall Fund of the United States, strengthening transatlantic cooperation since 1972. I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, the host of Common Ground. And I'm Dina El Sayed, the senior producer. Each week, we bring you a new lively discussion on a hard-hitting topic. If you want to learn more about our podcast, check out our website at commongroundberlin.com. The episodes are free to download, but they aren't free to create. Common Ground depends on grants as well as donations from listeners like you. So if you want to help us out, please click on the Donate button at commongroundberlin.com. And thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Maurice Frank, editor of the Berliner Zeitung English Edition, which is a proud partner of Common Ground. Is it hard for you to figure out what's going on in Berlin because everything you read or hear is in German? We at Berliner Zeitung English Edition can help, providing you with all the news you can use in English, whether on politics, business, or culture. We also offer riveting interviews and commentary. Look for us at berliner-zeitung.de slash en, or just type in Berliner Zeitung English Edition into your search engine. I look forward to seeing you there.
Welcome back to Common Ground and this special episode on a town hall we co-hosted May 27th with our partner, the German Marshall Fund, about the fate of civil society and Afghan women once NATO forces leave Afghanistan. A young Afghan woman we spoke to in Kabul is a female mountain climber with Marina's group, Ascend. These days she teaches physical fitness and mountain climbing to other young Afghan women. Hello, I'm Shufa Bayat. I'm working with Asen NGO uh, as a program assistant and also an instructor. Asen NGO is working for women empowerment through by leadership classes, uh, service projects, and also mountaineering. My big hope uh, for future is to summit Mount Everest, but right now my focus is on women rights. Shugufa, has it been more difficult the past year for you to go to work at Ascend? And can you still climb mountains in Afghanistan right now? Well, uh, right now it's a little bit difficult than past years uh, because we are losing our trust than the past to government. And we can uh, now, because before it was the normal days for us to go to our office uh, and also do our activities, but right now, sometimes and some days because of the worst security, we have to be at home for one day and see the situation. And also it's a little bit hard to plan any expedition because uh, we lost our trust to government. Will you be able to climb mountains or train or even work at Ascend if the Taliban becomes a part of the Afghan government? Mm, well, I don't think so. Because it's, it will be such a hard because the Taliban is Taliban. Uh, in the past also there was a Taliban that they killed women because of their education. But right now they will not be able to accept us the way that we are right now or the way that we are what we are doing do we go to mountain. I think it will not be possible for us to do our activities like the same of like right now in the future with the Taliban that if they be part of our government. And uh, my, I'm totally uh, negative about that. I asked Mitra if Shagufa's trepidation is widespread among young Afghans. She says it is. Um, I, I cannot ignore that because the threat is very real for everyone. At least in the past one year, I have witnessed losing uh, friends, family members who were considered civil society activists. At the same time, um, I had a lot of my friends who had to flee um, Afghanistan because they were targeted directly, including myself. At least I had to stop going to office and work from home. I, I have many friends who didn't return back, and some of them are still in Kabul. But our movements are very um, restricted because there were these lists, and um, 60, 70 names were there including my name and the faces you see in the media or um, at workplace. So that is very real. But I think at the same time, uh, if we see uh, the scenarios about Taliban coming back, um, the one we advocate for is asking international community, for example, to use diplomacy um, to ensure the Taliban come to the table in doing the negotiation. Because if we get a peace settlement, um, it means we have the chance to discuss more. Uh, I mean, Taliban cannot come again with uh, with how they were in, in 1996, and they know this. And that's the whole philosophy and idea of uh, having negotiation. So they make some compromises, and Afghan women make some compromises, Mitra says. Our connection to Kabul wasn't the best, so I will relay more of her answer here. Mitra says previous negotiations, especially during the Trump administration, gave the Taliban too much legitimacy. 
They've transformed from an international terrorist group into a political party recognized by international governments. That's made them more belligerent and less willing to compromise. Personally, for me, the fear is not um, actually a collapse of government in two or three years, because I, I think government, the army have that capacity to defend at that level. Since 2014, we don't have that much um, support of uh, actual international troops in the battlefield. But we have some promises that the financial support to army continues. And I think that the government is not going to collapse. But the fear is war going to be intensified. Target killings will be more. And if there is a reduction in the humanitarian aid, the poverty, especially considering COVID and everything, going to get worse, that that will adversely affect women and youth um, in the, this new generation of Afghanistan. Um, I think those are the real threats for us, um, rather than collapse of government or um, total control of Taliban. But if the situation gets worse even in rural areas, if you go to more poverty um, in all, I mean, that's going to definitely affect how we um, do our activities, how we work, how we go out. She adds that the traditional structure and the culture of Afghanistan are not very women-friendly to begin with, which makes it very important that international humanitarian and development aid continue after the troops leave in order to prevent any of the gains that women have made from being lost. Senior producer Dina El-Sayed then shared some audience questions with us during the town hall. We have one question from Sean Lee, who asks, are female veterans in Afghanistan receiving appropriate veteran benefits, and are the families of veterans receiving benefits? Who would like to take that answer or that question? I'll just answer um, at least part of it, because I just did uh, some interviews with some veterans, and uh, the problem was that they weren't receiving their benefits. Um, The one I had spoken to had lost both his legs and um, one hand, and he hadn't received his benefits in almost a year. Uh, Some of the ones who deserted those posts, the active soldiers, they hadn't been paid in five months. The female veterans, I think, probably would be in the same position as uh, their male counterparts and probably even more ignored if they're being ignored. Uh, But certainly a very widespread complaint among former uh, security personnel and acting security personnel who are on the front line and who are dying in in large numbers daily that uh, they're not getting paid regularly and corruption even the special inspector general of the u.s special inspector general said corruption is really one of the biggest problems facing afghanistan and facing the security forces so it's really not for the taliban to take but for the government to lose almost you know because they're not getting paid regularly and you have some commandos who are very good and and are getting the attention but the regular soldiers there, there is sort of widespread complaint about Um, lack of payment, and veterans for sure. Certainly have heard a lot of that. Adina, any other questions? There is a question from Johannes Alefeld, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, who asks, in which issue areas is continued support by the international community most needed? And are there specific regions which we should not lose sight of? Eleanor, you want to take that one? Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you, Johannes, for the question. Um, I would like to raise an issue that is quite controversial and I don't expect everybody to agree with my position, but um, I think, and that's the approach that what the Konrad Adenauer Foundation has taken since, especially since last year in the peace talks, 
what we like to promote is um, being some kind of a multi-party um, dialogue platform. And we would like to encourage people to reach out for different opinion holders, and especially to reach out to, let's say, religious conservative conflict parties um, and the, the religious conservative people in the provinces. Because I see the main deficit of the last 20 years of liberal state building funded by the international community was that we completely or at large parts left out the conservative religious majority society. And I think that's that's the main cause also um, why the conflict has not been ended since 20 years. And we like to try a new approach in which we try to, for example, women rights, human rights to legitimize them within religion, within the local culture. Because if we don't, do not justify human rights and women rights within Islam or within Islamic reference, it will never be rooted or accepted in Afghanistan. For example, we need local mullahs, we need local imams becoming a reform partner. Because if they will preach against us, um, it will never, we will never have peace. And that's, I think that's an approach which is controversial, which we have been done since, since now more than a year. And I can only say we had unique um, dialogues, unique moments meeting between um, normal uh, middle-class Afghan women and um, pro-Taliban or ex-Taliban speakers and um, mullahs from the provinces and religious authorities from different uh, parts of the country. And uh, this is something I would suggest to focus more on this, to have more of an inclusive peace process. Marina, that's actually an interesting question um, that I'd like you to follow up on because you have had to negotiate with the local shuras and, you know, local mayors, you know, whatever, I mean, the equivalent thereof in a variety of provinces where you've taken the girls for expeditions. Have the religious voices in those communities played any role? So we constantly do a dance of how much to ask for permission. And um, in some cases, it's best just not to. Um, however, we, I agree with what Eleanor is saying. And I think Ascend very much embraces the idea that we need to be inclusive in our approach. We're not trying to make um, enemies and we're not trying to be radical and in your face, basically with the communities in the areas where our girls come and climb. We haven't had any significant or lasting problems. We've had a couple of run-ins that have been interesting, um, but I think it's really a management question um, of reaching out to the, the leaders first and explaining who we are and how we operate. And when we do that and we do it well, we've never had a problem. There's nothing inherently, well, <laughs> depends who you ask again, but we, we deliberately chose sports and mountain climbing because we are trying to do something that, that showcases the abilities of girls without being overly radical. Um, and I see that Atia has a question. I'm very curious what she's gonna add on. Well, no, I just wanted to touch on something that Eleanor and both you are talking about. And I am curious, I don't have the answer to this, but. This is something that I do wonder if the U.S. State Department or the international community is going to get more involved in, and it does seem to be something that they have stepped aside on. But I do remember speaking to an imam, a chaplain here in America at Georgetown uh, University, and he used to work with the State Department and travel to different countries to speak to mullahs on the ground, to uh, imams, to religious figures on the ground, and promote 
this type of Islam where you include women, where you include the peaceful Islam to go away and really to educate the mullahs in rural areas, bring them into the capital of wherever country they were going to, including Afghanistan, because he only went there once that I know of, which is not enough. And basically he promotes to educate them on proper Islamic law rather than the fundamentalist version that many do preach uh, throughout the rural areas in Afghanistan or whatever country. So I think you all have touched on, and the question has touched on a great point that this is one of the aspects that the governments that are that say that they will continue to help Afghanistan need to work on. And they had a program. I don't know if they still have that program. And if they do, they should be utilizing it a lot more. Atiyah and the other analysts, aid workers and Afghans, return next Monday on Common Ground for part two of our town hall discussion and stories from Afghanistan. Thanks for listening. Our senior producer is Dina El-Sayed, and I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadin Alson. Our program is made possible through a grant administered by the German Ministry for Economic Affairs and Energy. Thank you also to our partners, the German Marshall Fund and Berliner Zeitung English Edition. You can download all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out our website, commongroundberlin.com. 